God bless the city of Rock Hill. Rock Hill is such a special place. You're going to know Rock Hill from more than Football City USA. Pathways, Indoor Center, Knowledge Park. It's just a wonderful time to be in Rock Hill right now. The city of Rock Hill is one of the only destinations that fully gets it. It builds world-class venues that are better than anywhere in the United States. You mentioned that um, you wanted to be someone that is an image to to others of, okay, I can be somebody too. Do you have a lot of people still to this day that kind of either come up to you or just reference you as, I became this because I saw Mr. Foster do this? That's an extremely interesting question because I used to say to the faculty at Northwestern, when we opened uh, out there. I have to say this because this is the way it was. I didn't select many of the teachers out there the first year. They gave me whatever they wanted me to have from Rock Hill High, okay? And that was that well, I had a little problem with that, but there's nothing I could do about it. Um, I used to tell the faculty, I'm interested in doing what Northwestern represents. I want to be competition for these kids anywhere in South Carolina. But uh, I spent a lot of time trying to employ faculty at Northwestern who could provide what my students needed. Uh, I never had a teacher at Northwestern while I was there to teach physics who I thought was equal to the abilities of my kids. Now that's, that's tragic. Mm. And I said that, I told that story on the house floor when I was in, in the South Carolina House when we were debating the Education Improvement Act. And of course, the major problem, in my opinion, with public education is a lack of support. And the brain drain that came as a result of all of the negatives, uh, not so much money involved, uh, and some of these young ladies who might have gone into public education went to the bank or went to some other industry. They had the, had the capability, but uh, you know, we had, uh, uh, we depended on some sharp students to turn around and come back to do this job. And that's difficult. Was the racial reconciliation piece difficult when you took over at Northwestern? I had had uh, most of the students previously, so all of them knew me. Uh, I didn't, uh, and I had, uh, we never really had a major problem, really. And I think that's because of my no-nonsense approach to it. And I really didn't care who, uh, who you were, uh, 
what your situation was. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you're wrong, you're wrong. And I remember a father uh, whose son uh, was, was disciplined several times, Mr. Holtz's office. I was leaving the building and I met the father coming in and I spoke. We shook hands and I asked, can I help you? He said, well, I'm going in here to talk to Mr. Oates. Son, he called me about my son and I'm going in here to talk to him. And I said, all right, well, fine. And I started to walk away and, and he said, hey, by the way, let me tell you this. Uh, I just want to tell you that I hear people talking about you out here. And they tell me you don't care nothing about nobody. <laughs> okay. So that that's confirmation in some measure for me with uh, who he was. <laughs> and him making that kind of statement meant even, he's, even though he's out there to talk discipline about his child, he wasn't unhappy. <laughs> okay. And the students kept parents literally out of the school because after some students had graduated uh, I run into the mom maybe at a grocery store or somewhere and she says I, I know you remember my Mark or my John or whatever and I said yes she says uh, he got into a little something over there once and I wanted to come see you I wanted to come talk to you about it but he wouldn't let me I said, really? She said, no. He told me, I don't need you to go over there and talk to Mr. Foster uh, for me. If I want to talk to him, I can go talk to him myself. (laughs) And that's the kind of relationship I had. I ought to, I, um, the person who replaced me uh, was out there for three years. And I have to be careful because uh, he still lives in Rock Hill, he and, his, he and his family. But he didn't quite understand what he had out there in terms of the student body. And when the board took him out, well, when I left Northwestern, I tried to provide whatever orientation I could for him, and I said, I'm not leaving Northwestern because I'm unhappy. If there's anything at all I can do for you uh, that's announced or unannounced, I'd be happy to do whatever I can. He never asked me my opinion of anything, but he started to run into trouble. I go to the director of secondary education and I mention it because I couldn't go to the grocery store unless a parent or a student or somebody is uh, trying to talk to me about what's going on. So I go, and I wound up going to the superintendent one time, and it got so, I went to him a second time, and he said, Sam, he has to learn just like you had to learn, and maybe you shouldn't talk about him. I said, now, Mr. Savage, you know me better than that. I'm not out in the streets talking about him. I'm talking to you about him. And I talked to the director of uh, secondary education. He said, 
well, maybe you shouldn't talk to anybody about it. I says, if that's the way you want it, that's the way it'll be. Now, after the fact, this, this guy comes to me after he's no longer, after they took him out and told me nobody had told him why he had to leave Northwestern and asked me if I'd tell him why. And I said, well, nobody really told me either. Uh, but uh, if you want my opinion, I can tell you that when I was out there, I had a group of young men and young women many of whom already had their futures planned for them. They knew they were going to college. They knew what was going to happen next year and this kind of thing. The parents had made plans for them. And I treated them like young men and young women. And when you got out there and tried to treat them like just little kids, they became unhappy. And they went home and told their parents they weren't happy and that was the beginning of your undoing because one person who served as on the school advisory council at Northwestern under that administration wound up running for the board and two other people ran for the board that year the three of them uh, once they won, there was another board member on there whose kids were at Northwestern, and they got rid of not only the superintendent, <laughs> you know, they got rid, got rid of the principal. And I, um, they were not going to, the board named me acting associate superintendent along with uh, the uh, one other person who was the acting superintendent. And I'm a little sensitive about uh, work and the fact that I never fired anybody unless they knew exactly uh, what they were being fired for uh, and had been warned and given an opportunity to, uh, to correct whatever the problem was. I lost my sensitivity when you didn't respond. Well, I felt like I always needed my resources just like anybody else needed theirs, so I gotta be careful here. But at any rate, uh, I went to the acting superintendent and I said, well look, I know nobody has ever talked to him about uh, any negatives and we don't need to lose him after just losing a superintendent in January and then lose the principal. And I, if he wants it, I think he's got a suit because nobody's uh, uh, said anything to him. And the acting superintendent said to me, uh, Sam, I think the board has just already decided what it's gonna do. So I was at the district office at the time. I went to my, to my office. I called the board chair and went to visit him where he worked. And he invited me to come. And 
I expressed to him my feelings about this, that nobody had given him any warning, nobody had appropriately addressed any problems that he may have had, and we may not need to lose him on top of losing a superintendent. I say, but I do think you may need to take him out of Northwestern and find something else for him to do. He said, Sam, you know what? I agree with you. And I'm going to talk about that in an executive session at the board tonight. And that's what they did. And the person ultimately retired in the school district with the other job that they were given. And um, I don't know to this day that they know that whether they knew that what I did, but it didn't matter to me whether, whether he knew or not. I was doing what I thought was right. Mm -hmm. So after all the time that you spent pouring into the school district and the school system, what led you to want to run for a house seat? Because I know that's a tall <laughs> task as well. Oh, my goodness. I don't know where you got all this from. And I, and, and, I, and I got all these names that I, that, that, <laughs> but uh, we had a, a female, black female, who was serving in the house, who uh, was talking about uh, not running again. I didn't like the person who was interested in running and did not think that he would have been an asset necessarily uh, to us from a school perspective and whatnot. So I go to the superintendent, Jeff Savage again, and I talk to him about it. And he said, Sam, I think that's a good idea. He said, let me talk to the board about it. So the board gave me permission to run. And I told them that, uh, but they mentioned, you know, naturally we have to come up with some arrangements. I said, I'm not interested in making money, but I can't afford to lose any money. So what I worked out with the school district is they paid me my regular salary. The salary in the house was 10-4 annually, and I reimbursed the school district most of that for time loss. And uh, so that's how I uh, uh, wound up in the legislature. But I just really uh, felt that we needed somebody in education with some sensitivity in the General Assembly. And under Governor Riley, I was one of the floor leaders for the Education Improvement Act that was passed under his administration in 1984, I think it was, that, uh, that got us as a state some national publicity. So, uh, as it stands, uh, that's how I wound up in the legislature, because sometimes I guess if you get a little disgusted or you don't think things <laughs> are best and right, if you don't do it, who will? 
<laughs> so you had your house for about for 12 years. Um, how how was that experience for you? I thought it was an interesting and important place to be. Uh, it's where laws are made that impact all of the people of South Carolina. And while at that time I represented a district that had less than 30,000 that extended from I-77 to the Cherokee County line uh, south of York County. And uh, I just felt that by serving, I had to communicate with some people in the district that I'm not just representing this 25,000 right here. Decisions that I make when somebody disagreed with me sometime, uh, decisions that I make impact all of the people of South Carolina. So you just have to keep that in mind. I had a constituent once when he asked me how I voted on something and I told him, oh, he, he was really upset. He said, I wasn't interested in that. And you voted for that? I said, yes. I said, and you didn't tell me what your interests were. You didn't let me know what your situation was. I say, now I sit down there and I look, I study it, and I, if I agree with it, I vote with it. If I don't agree with it, I don't. And had you said something to me that gave me some reason to look at it further, I would have done that. He said, well, Sam, I voted for you. And I just, I'm just upset. I said, well, I hope you're gonna vote for me again. <laughs> but you really didn't vote to tell me how to think. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, and he and I never really fell out, but you know, and that's the kind of person that I try to be. Uh, what you see today, I like for you to see tomorrow. Mm. What are some of the bigger bills that turned into laws that you remember passing during your 12 years? Goodness, not many. <laughs> uh, the Herald used to do uh, an article as the session was about to begin in January, usually come out in December. And they'd call all of the local legislators and ask, what's your priority this year? Uh, how many bills or what bills do you plan to sponsor? And basically, when they asked me that question, I'd tell them none. And they said, you don't plan to sponsor anything? I said, look, we got enough legislation already on the books. All we need to do is refine what we got, and we've been in great shape, okay? So I didn't, I wasn't looking for opportunities to stand up at the mic because I sponsored something. I did sponsor a social worker licensure bill that ran into some opposition, but got it passed anyway. And it was as simple as I learned that through the Department of Social Services, uh, we had uh, 
<clears throat> social workers had workers over there with a master's degree that they referred to as a social worker. We also had high school diploma folk they referred to as a social worker. Well, I felt there needed to be some definition and got a lot of uh, disagreement even with the director at the time because I went and sat down with him uh, to find out what his problems were. And he told me, well, you're going to make it difficult for me to hire folks. You're going to make it difficult for me to find the people I need. I said, no. Why should it be more difficult? I said, when somebody knocks on your door, you ought to know who's coming. And there's no reason for somebody with a master's degree to be considered the same as somebody with a high school diploma. So why don't you just take the high school diploma folk and call them something else? You don't have to call them a social worker. Call them something else. And so I got a lot of grief about that one. But it passed. And the Social Worker Association uh, named me the legislator of the year. <laughs> <laughs> So all of, all of your um, uh, accomplishments and the differences that you've made here in the community has led to your nomination and selection for the Freedom Walkway Local Hero. What specific, like, what does that mean to you to be selected to that? Well, I'm honored. Uh, it's pleasing because I've never been the kind of person who sought publicity, uh, the hardest person that I had to please was me. Mm. And when mistakes were made in the workplace that I supervised, uh, when something went wrong, the first place I looked was at me to see if I might be responsible for it. Well, if I determined that I wasn't responsible for it, then I look for the source. And consequently, uh, never look for publicity. And finally, I see the key to the city that the mayor gave me recently. And I said, well, I still hadn't said anything, but somebody uh, came to me. And I was shocked with the key to the city because the mayor had talked to my sons to see if they could get me there without uh, knowing. <laughs> and, and they did. They oh, did. wow. And I was, uh, I was really surprised because I came to make a statement on, uh, at a public hearing that was part of the meeting. Just a brief statement that I wanted to make. And, when I saw my name on the agenda, I almost couldn't say what I wanted to say <laughs> when I got up there, because I, I didn't know what it was all about. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm honored. Um, and it's been said uh, eternally that it's better to receive your roses while you can see them. Mm. So, you know, I said, well, you know, it's just, just great. Uh, I'm very pleased that somebody uh, felt that maybe I made some contributions that uh, were worthy. And that's what really what counts. Because public service is, is noteworthy. I knew I'd never get rich. 
And sure enough, I didn't. <laughs> but uh, interacting with people, uh, learning how to uh, make things work sometimes when it's a little bit difficult, uh, even when you're trying to get two clients together, uh, it, uh, it's, it's, it's just great. I tell everybody if the Lord gave me a little bit of uh, ability, gave me a little bit of understanding of human nature, uh, I do know how people generally react uh, to certain uh, stimulants and whether they like it or not. Uh, you, you know, you, you got to know who you're looking at and what you're dealing with. And, Sure enough, you can win more than you lose. It's obvious that you mean a lot to the community of Rock Hill. Let me flip that around. What does the community of Rock Hill mean to you? Rock Hill is a bit of a different community. And what I mean by that is as I weaved my way through my career in Rock Hill, I was never really embarrassed or uh, ashamed of where I came from uh, because the Rock Hill community supported its schools. And the reflection of what kids have done here, it's obvious. Uh, we built schools in this community when nobody else was. I was always active uh, in the professional associations. I happened to have been president of the High School Principals Association. I was president of the South Carolina Association of School Administrators and of the uh, athletic league, the 4A conference, but what I always looked at was how my community stood in relationship to others. And I remember at a principal's meeting down at Hilton Head, annual principal's meeting, Spartanburg High School had a group of kids down there as a, as a part of the program to play some music for the group, more or less a classical group of youngsters. And I said, I got kids who can do that, and I need to maybe add something here. So I go to the superintendent, and he wouldn't allow me to do it. And I had kids that were clearly capable of blowing the place up. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, if I regretted anything, it would be something that I know can be beneficial. Uh, I, I don't want to say this for publication necessarily, but I'm a kind of guy who I don't talk about the superintendent, for example, out in the streets. If I got something to say to him, I go down there and close the door and say it. 
And that's essentially what I did. Uh, I know he called me one day. Uh, I was at school. He called me because he saw something in the student paper that was negative, either about uh, maybe something related to the school district, some program or something. And he called me and wanted to know, what the heck are those kids doing out there? And he says, you know, they keep up that kind of stuff. I'll cut that newspaper out. I said, no, you won't. <laughs> I said, you can't do that. I said, I've got kids here who probably going to do journalism, and they need this training. And you can, he said, well, you better get them straightened out out there then. <laughs> <laughs> but bottom line is that's the kind of thing you gotta so sure enough uh, he 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 wanted to tell me he, he disbanded the newspaper student paper well I didn't mind standing up for my my youngsters <laughs> you know yes indeed and we had I might mention also we got off to a good start uh, takes a while to build your academics. But we had a group of youngsters who were rather skilled athletically. And that helped us to carry the day. So much so that at one time around the community, because we weren't supposed to compete uh, at a high level, and didn't the first year we were in a much lower league. But uh, we had some kids out there who were talented. Uh, I mentioned this one's not Rick Sanford, for example. Rick Sanford left here, went to the University of South Carolina, and played for the New England Patriots. Jimmy Kaiser, whose daddy was chairman of the school board at one point, Never saw a finer young man than that guy. Never heard a kid, never heard but one kid say anything negative about it, black or white. <laughs> okay. Jimmy was a four athlete, uh, a four sport athlete. And uh, Jimmy went to Furman. Uh, became a graduate assistant and went on to coach. I ran into his daddy about when he was a senior year and asked him, how's Jimmy doing? And he says, well, Sam, Jimmy's doing fine, but I, I'm just a little concerned. I'm not sure Jimmy knows what he wants to do. He's a graduate assistant. I said, Dr. Kaiser, Jimmy wants to coach. <laughs> he said, you know, I'm not sure that you're not right. And Jimmy uh, was an assistant at North Carolina State uh, he was an assistant at, uh, at uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, so he's been up there, and I expected at some point that he was going to be a head coach of one of these colleges. He had the skill, and he was the valedictorian of his class. <laughs> yeah. So I had some great experiences and uh, enjoyed it. And I just you know, just enjoyed what I did, and uh, ultimately, I guess, when you do some of the things you know that everybody else does, even though you didn't make the money, both my sons are college graduates and <laughs> doing all right, you know, <laughs> you, you find the means by which you get 
from point A to point B, and uh, my sons and I uh, still love and respect each other now, <laughs> uh, even though they're old men. <laughs> my oldest son is 64. <laughs> and uh, so I still have a great relationship with them, and it's because we've always had a great relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you a story, though, uh, about, because you asked me about the community of Rock Hill. Mm -hmm. It's Dr. Kaiser that I just mentioned. Jimmy got full grant and aid to Furman. One day I get this call from Dr. Kaiser. He said, Sam, uh, my wife and I are were prepared to send Jimmy to school, but he's taking care of it himself. So I'd like to help somebody else. And he named the kid who was in fourth grade with Jimmy on up through high school for a black kid. And he says if he wants to go to Winthrop, or York Tech, my wife and I be happy to take care of that. And I said, uh, Dr. Kaiser, oh my, that's, I says, I'll go talk with his mother, uh, you know, and so I went to the house one day, talked with the mom, there was an older sister who was present, and he was there. And I laid out the situation, and Dr. Kaiser had called. And I said, so, uh, I came by to bring the news. Now you just have to tell me what, what it is you like to do. The mom spoke up and said, that's fine if he wants to do it. But I don't want him going anywhere wasting anybody's money. Okay. And this kid didn't take it up. Wow. He went in the military. Uh-huh. He went in the military. Mm -hmm. And he still lives in the community. I won't mention, well, I had to be careful because he still lives around here, too. <laughs> and, and, but he, he did well. And I had the occasion to run across him not too long ago and brought that up to him. And he just said, well, I had kind of wanted to go to military, Mr. Foster, but I think I did okay. I said, absolutely, you did all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's a great spot to uh, wrap things up. Before we uh, close things out, is there anything else that we've missed or that you'd like to add? No, but I think uh, the final question that you ask is as important as anything else you ask because you ask me what is it about the Rock Hill community that perhaps made me satisfied with it or happy with it and mm -hmm. whatnot. And it's largely because of the people who provided for an appropriate education for our kids, who provided appropriate leadership from a city perspective in developing opportunities for growth. And so it's been aggressive. I, I've said to some people 
tell me one other city in South Carolina, maybe, that you know that would have a sign-out advertising uh, like Rock Hill or No Room for Racism. Mm. Have you seen that anywhere? <laughs> you know, I mean, so it's just a different place to be. And a lot of people who come here kind of get stuck on it and somehow find that, uh, well, this is a nice place to be. This, we've got a little bit of everything here that you can be exposed to. And so uh, it's pleasing to enjoy where you live and more pleasing when you feel like you maybe made some contribution to it. Absolutely. Well, you've been a, a wealth of knowledge and information and answers, and uh, we thank you for joining us yes, today. Yes, thank you so much. Well, pleasure being here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. That was great. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill City Cast. Episodes are available each week to stream on SoundCloud, Google, and Apple Podcasts. To keep up with City of Rock Hill information, follow us on social media.